So before we jump into the service, uh, I want us to watch this video. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's an intense question. He wasn't kidding, eh, about a big question. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I do need a minute for that. crazy. I don't know how to respond to that. Do we, do I have to? I don't know if I would. Um, alphabet soup. <laughs> For sure. All right. Inside of your uh, program this morning, you get one of these right here. And uh, every year uh, since our church has, church has launched, we've done a uh, Man in the Street video called Big City, Big Question campaign, and it was wildly successful. And uh, so we've learned to build a sermon series out of it, but also this year we're, we're kind of taking it up a notch, and we want to do a screening for this. And it's, I mean, just the question this year, I'm not going to reveal it just yet, um, but I know, I know. Uh, so, um, but we're going we're gonna to do an outreach event via um, the video screening, and really the, the question is a phenomenal question, and the responses that we've been kind of receiving are really interesting responses. And so um, uh, so in line with what we've done in the last couple of years is uh, we have a sermon series that we're running through. Next week will be the first of that. But it's also building up to our screening, all right? We've got a team that's working on a website right now. We have our video team that's working on it. We're putting together a campaign team uh, to begin promoting the screening uh, in the next month. And so on Saturday, November 21st, at the Rainbow Cinema Market Square uh, Theater in St. Lawrence, we rented out their largest theater, and we're going to do this screening. And in addition to the screening, we're going to do kind of a behind-the-scenes kind of discussion with the, uh, the Adam and his team and the creators. And we're just going to talk about, like, the response and get some feedback. So I really think it's going to be an, a really great way for us to connect with people and connect uh, with them in response to, I, I, see, I, I don't want to give too much away, but to something that we have planned for Christmas. It all builds on top of each other, okay? Um, so I'll just, I'll give you that much, all right? And so um, these are cards to invite uh, people to our worship service and to our sermon series. Next week, we'll have little invitation cards to invite people to our screening, okay? And so all the information is right here. Get excited about it. Be prayerful. If you want to get involved um, somehow, some way, uh, let us know. Uh, me, Mike, or Adam know, and we'd love to get you involved with that. So every week, we'll talk a little bit more about it, and uh, you'll see stuff online, and we're going to launch the website, I think, in two weeks-ish, I think. Yeah, okay. I'm looking at our web team. They're like, uh, quit pushing me. Um, and uh, the trailer is going to go up soon. So really excited about that. Okay. Well, this week we're finishing our last uh, message in the series God's Story. And we've been walking through summaries of the first five books of the Bible, uh, typically called the Pentateuch. And so we've done Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. This week we'll do Deuteronomy. It's a bit ambitious to try to get through a whole entire book in a sermon. Um, but um, uh, really, this is a very important book in the in the five books. It's like the pinnacle of, of, of the five books. And uh, it's the last one, obviously. Um, and in the Greek, the word Deuteronomy means the second law. And it's fitting because the first law, the Ten Commandments, was given in Exodus 20 to the first generation Israelites leaving the wilderness. 
Deuteronomy 5 is actually the second time the Ten Commandments and the law is given, but this time to the second generation, all right? And so uh, Moses is rehashing a generation later God's laws for God's people to inherit the land that he's given to them, all right? Um, and so if actually what's interesting is if you look at the outline of Deuteronomy, um, and we really, there was a theologian who discovered this back in the 60s. The structure of Deuteronomy is actually, it actually mirrors the structuring of a covenant, of a covenant document, all right? And no, that doesn't mean much to us nowadays because we really don't deal with covenants and stuff. But there's actually so much about the book of Deuteronomy that actually points to Jesus, and it's primarily because it's actually a book of covenants, all right? And so the document itself actually is a covenant between God and his people. Um, and it's hard to understand how important it is because the only covenant that we really celebrate nowadays is what? Marriage. That's the only covenant like we actually have. But it used to be an ancient Near East culture that they would make covenants all the time between families, between kings, kingdoms. And so um, uh, think about this. A covenant in this case is kind of like a marriage. And the book of Deuteronomy is kind of like a marriage document between Israel and God. They're getting ready to finalize. They were dating each other since Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I mean, that's kind of a crude way to think about it, but in a sense, they were building this relationship. They were checking each other out, just like some of you guys are just kind of checking each other out, right? You're in this limbo stage. You're not dating. You're hanging out. You just like to call it, we're hanging out, right? And so they hung out, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then you get to Deuteronomy, and here's, this is where they're standing at the altar. And Moses is kind of like the officiant, and he's kind of officiating this, this relationship because they're going to enter into the land together. Right? Think about it that way. And so Deuteronomy is actually the terms of their commitment. So as you read through the whole entire book, you're saying, okay, oh, this is my role. Oh, this is my role. I'm shocked. That's my role? Dishes? Right? (laughs) Um, Some of us found out as married men that we have to do dishes, right? And so there are some things in the book of Deuteronomy that begins to discuss, like when you get into the land, this is how you behave, right? And so it's the terms of the covenant, terms of their marriage. But really, it's more than just a marriage ceremony ritual. It's almost like a pep rally, too. As you're reading it, Moses is standing on this mountain that there's a, you know, millions of people, and he's like giving a pep rally. Um, I, it's hard to tell right now, but I used to be a high school athlete. I know. It's, it's hard to believe. Uh, I, I lettered in varsity volleyball, uh, was uh, um, all-city uh, three years, uh, city champs three years. And one of my favorite moments in, in, in high school volleyball was it was our last time we played for the city title. Coach Sims, Coach Leon Sims, he sat us down. It was a group of about 15 of us. And he, he gave one of the, the best speeches I'd ever heard. I, I wrote it down. Just, I, I've memorized it, but I don't want to mess it up because it's so good. He said this. He says, you're not supposed to be here, but you are. You weren't supposed to win, but you did. You know what you have to do, men. So do it. Here's the line. You can be a chump or you can be a champ. I know. You decide. It gave me, I get chills. Just, you can be a chump or a champ, right? Moses is standing before the next generation. He's standing before these, this generation called to take God's land that he had promised. And he says, you're not supposed to be here, but you are. 
You weren't supposed to win. You were the underdog, but you did. You can be a chump or you can be a champ. It's up to you. You decide. Last uh, week, we discovered 38 years ago, uh, Moses gave a similar speech to the first generation, and they were like, we're chumps. <laughs> right? We're chumps. We don't want to go. And so what happened is that they forfeited their destiny, and their kids had to step in. And I want to talk about the last, uh, this last installment of our series, that God's story is a multi-generational vision. God's story is a multi-generational vision. I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you come from. Some of you guys I do know. But in this story of the book of Deuteronomy, God is actually saying to Israel, I'm not done with you yet. And in the same way, God is saying to you, in your family, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your children, God is saying, no, I'm not done with them yet either. So you may have given in on some people in your family, but God is saying, no, I'm not done. I'm not done with you yet. So many of us are sitting at the brink of God's promise, but our passion level is so, it's so, like it's waning. Because we, our doubt is getting the best of us. And so our faith is only, faith is only a matter of convenience to most of us. If it's convenient, then I'll do it. Most of us, actually, we've settled for a boring version of faith. Just think about this. I'm a little bit snarky this morning, all right? So forgive me. I'm usually not this snarky. snarky. But a lot of us are settling for a boring... You like a boring faith. It's easy to manage. But here's the problem. Listen to this. Here's the problem with an easy, manageable faith that's convenient. The problem is it's not about you. It's not about you. What you're communicating to the next generation is how serious you are. We communicate to the next generation how serious we are. We had this discussion with our worship team. We're like, we are not going to have a seeker-sensitive worship time. Our preaching will be geared towards everybody, but our worship time singing, we're not going to be, you know, crazy stupid, but we want to be passionate about our singing about Jesus. You are setting the tone for the next generation. Your passion level is informing the next generation on how to be passionate about God. Does that make sense to anybody? Is that registering? Okay. And so your level of passion is being passed on to people. Think about that. Um, the, the most well-known part of this passage that Dahlia read for us this morning is this. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might. That's intense. Everything. As a matter of fact, Jesus says when he was asked, what's the most important commandment in the scriptures? He points to this one. He says, this is the most important one. Everything. Intense passion. For God. The most important thing about you. That should be the most important thing about you. Is the intensity level in which you're passionate about God. One day our kids will crack open the Bible. Okay. I know most of you guys are like 22, 23. You're not even thinking about kids. You should be, Curtis. Uh, (laughs) 
you never think about this. One day, your kids will crack open the Bible, they're going to read this verse, and they're going to wonder, ah, they're going to have four things to say, okay? The first thing they're going to say is this, I'm so glad, I think I have these up here, I'm so glad older people or my parents spent time with me and modeled this passion for me. I'm glad the older people around me were passionate because it makes it easier for me. I understand what it looks like to be passionate for God. Secondly, they may say this, oh, I, I wish the older people would have spent time with me doing this and modeling it for me because I have no clue how to do this. I'm trying to figure it out on my own. It was such a con- faith for the older people around me were just, it was a matter of convenience for them. Thirdly, they might say, this stuff is dumb. It's primitive. I'm glad older people never talked about it. All right? And that's very fair. Some people will crack open the Bible and say that. Fourthly, they may say this, and I know some of you guys in this room have said this yourself, that this is the best thing I've ever heard. I wish I had older people around me that would have modeled this for me. Some of you guys who came to faith later in life, this is repeatedly what I hear from you. I wish I knew. I don't want two, three, or four to be optioned for us. I want it to be known that even as a younger church, younger in age, younger in, you know, I mean, we've been around for two years, that by the time we're done with this, people would have said one. My kids would have said one about our church. Your kids would have said the first response about our church. I'm so glad the older people, and yes, at 25, you're older, you know, to other people. I'm so glad the older people modeled it for me because I know how to do it. We're going to look at two things. I'm going to do something fun with my kids. I'm going to bring them up and I'm going to interview them. And I don't know what they're going to say, but uh, we're going to do something fun with them. But before we do that, two things. Number one, we're going to learn from the past. And number two, we're going to lead for the future. Learn from the past, lead for the future. Deuteronomy 6, uh, the last part of it, uh, verse 10 to the 12, says this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Moses is reminding this generation that you are building on top of another generation. You're standing on the shoulders of other people. Somebody else bled, somebody else sweat, sweated, sweat. In order for you to be here today, he's reminding them. You get to inherit a promise that's 400 years in the making. You have to work hard. You have to trust God. You have to blood and, and, and you have to bleed and sweat as well. But you're actually finishing something else somebody else started. And the reality is that that's our story as well. That you stand on somebody's shoulders. There's somebody's past. They sweat. They bled. They sacrificed. They lost tons of money in order for you to be who you are today, do what you're doing today. You have the same story. Moses says that when you eat and are full, then take care. Take care, lest you forget the Lord. What does he mean? Moses means this. He's uh, actually that the work in the Hebrew, uh, the word in the Hebrew actually says that you have to watch carefully, be aware. 
Be aware. It's possible that you're enjoying the benefits today, but you're completely forgetting that your faith, your health, your community, community, your city, your church, the people you call when you're depressed and you're out of money. It's possible that you forget to ask the question, who sacrificed to make this all possible for me? Learn from the past. Appreciate those who did it before you. Learn from their mistakes. Copy their accomplishments if, if it applies. Appreciate the backs that were broken for you. And Moses, he's not just saying be grateful. He's not just saying be appreciative. But he's actually saying when he says take care lest you forget the Lord, he means this. Be aware that you don't get caught up in accumulating great things for yourself that you forget that you're in a championship game. Let me explain that, all right? Moses is saying, when you eat and you're so full and you're like, oh, this is the good life, Moses is saying, don't forget, you're in a game. You have a mission. And so many of us, we're so caught up, me included at times, we're so caught up in accumulating shiny uniforms and being under the stadium lights that we forget that we have a mission. Our mission is not accumulating shiny uniforms. Our mission is not accumulating and being under stadium lights. There's a fight to be fought. There's a war to be won, Moses is reminding them. Think about, I, think, I think about my parents who were immigrants and had no money when they came to, uh, to, to Illinois where they ended up immigrating to. I have so much to be thankful for. Their, their sacrifice is actually what I get to boast in and not so much my own accomplishments. And Moses is saying that the baton is being passed on to you. They worked hard. Here comes the baton. Don't fumble the baton. Like, don't fumble it. Don't drop the baton. Can you imagine in a race, and maybe I can see Usain Bolt doing this, but I don't see anybody else doing this. But in a race, like you're running and you're like, oh, I look so good. Like my uniform, like it's, it's tight in all the right places. And I'm like, I'm, you're running and like, and you're so caught up in the uniform and like you just, and the baton just gets dropped. And it's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy shiny uniforms or stadium seating and nice houses and a bigger yard. I, I would appreciate not having a cement yard. That's not that God doesn't want those things for us at all, but there are times when He's afraid that accumulating those things, when you get your full, Moses says, that you might forget the Lord, and not just the Lord, but the mission that the Lord has for you. We're in a championship game. Moses says later that the priority of leading a nation and leading a movement, how do you lead a nation and how do you lead a movement? He says it starts in leading the home. Now, for those of you guys who are like, ah, I'm only 23, 24, like I'm not having to worry about kids yet, just tuck this away. All right, tuck this away. We're going to look at verse 7. Moses says, you shall teach them diligently your children, to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Moses is saying the way to lead your country, the way to lead a movement, the way to play in this championship game is to lead your family, 
to lead your kids. First priority. First priority. I think for a lot of us, I know that like the spiritual baton was, was dropped between that transition between dad and mom to you. The baton was dropped. Or maybe they weren't, they weren't even the same game. Maybe they weren't believers. They weren't even, I mean, they, they weren't even running the race with you. And so for a lot of us, it's kind of hard for us to understand this concept that no, that's priority for me. Home is priority for me. And I want to speak to fathers specifically because I'm a father and it's harder for me to know a mother's experience. But for dads, we, we get caught up in the shiny things. We get caught up in, in, in instilling our value in our ability to provide our children with shiny uniforms. Is my metaphor coming across? Shiny uniforms? Okay, nice things, right? Stadium lights, maybe apply that to, I don't know. Nice shoes, big house, whatever. So for dads, for me, let me just talk about me. For me, I get caught up in that stuff. Because I, I think that if I provide these things to the best of my ability, then actually I'm doing a great job as a father. That's not necessarily the case. I was reading a book um, by a guy, a guy named Sam Solon. And he says this. He says, whereas a father's role is to confirm a child's identity and impart a sense of purpose and destiny, the broken family imparts mainly the culture of survival. So when dad's not in place, what happens is that he's actually teaching children to go into survival mode. It's a scarcity mentality that we teach our children. Even if you provide everything, if you don't instill in them a sense of identity and a sense of purpose and destiny, what you end up doing is you teach them that you have to make it and survive on your own. Like You have to do this on your own. And here's the thing. like God breaks that cycle. And that's what he's doing here with Moses. Is he's trying to break that cycle of this scarcity mentality that you have to do it on your own. And he's saying, instill into your children identity and destiny. Instill it into them. Number one priority for you. I feel like I'm speaking to five people in the room right now because there's only about five of us who have children. Tuck this away, you 20-year-olds. Tuck this away. You're going to be like 35 and you have the first infant. You're like, oh, how do, how do I do this again? Now, the reality is that for a lot of us, you, you, we don't have, you don't have a context for that. We don't, cause it, it was never modeled for you. And I get that. And I, like, I, I want to sit here and sympathize and I want to sit here and grieve for those of you guys who didn't have a father or a mother who invested into you spiritually. But I want to give you something very practical, very practical. I've seen it done. I've seen it work. And I want to give it to you as a gift, free of charge. And this is the most practical advice that I can give you. If you're in a stage where you find that I've never had a mentor, I've never had somebody spiritually uh, coach me or lead me, I invite you to surround yourself with a few. You don't need 10, but with a few people that are at least 10 years older than you. All right? Now, they don't have to be 10 years, but they might be somewhere you want to be like 10 years from now. Right? So for me, for instance, I've got a 14-year-old. Right, um, none of you guys have a fourteen-year-old, so I love hanging around with y'all, but you don't understand half my problems because I got a fourteen-year-old. So I need to find somebody who's got a twenty-four-year-old because I can sit down and say, "Hey, man, this is what my fourteen-year-old's been talking, saying." Uh, like, <laughs> Justin's over there, like, "What you talking about?" <laughs> 
this is what he's been saying, this is what he's doing, all this stuff like, you know, and he'll sit down and they don't have the best advice necessarily, but at least he can empathize and sympathize with me. Some of us, you need to surround yourself with people like that. And the reality is that a lot of you guys have people who are like that. And you need to grab them and pull them a little bit closer. I wrote down here that if you have a child that's one or two years old, fight to spend time with a guy who's got a 10 or a 12-year-old. Fight to spend time with those people. You'll learn more than you can learn on your own arguing with your wife about this one-year-old who's driving you crazy. (laughs) If you're 27 and you're starting out your career, find the woman who's in her 30s or 40s or 50s, who's had a longer career. Have coffee with her. Spend regular time with her. For for most of uh, us who are younger, the, the problem isn't talent or skill. The problem for you is you've not endured long enough and had enough experiences. So that's why you're always worried. That's why you're always anxious. If you talk to the person who's been for 30 years, they look at you and they're like, oh, you look so green to them. You're a rookie. That's why you need to sit down with them, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, if you've never been fathered or mothered spiritually, when you come into a church like this and you're adopted into a church, you have permission to say to people uh, that, hey, I need this level of like mentorship. Can you help provide it for me or can you help me find it? Okay. And that's a fair game question for you to ask. Be patient, but that's a fair game question for you to ask. Um, it's amazing what you learn from Jesus' life. Jesus was 12, uh, and I, I don't know if you realize this about Jesus, this about Jesus, but Jesus had to learn as well. It wasn't like he was born and he just knew everything all at once. He had to learn. And there was actually a passage in Luke that, require, uh, that records a time where Jesus is actually sitting around with a bunch of teachers uh, learning from them. And I think we have this passage up. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 46. On uh, and, and this is what happened. And it's kind of a funny story because like his parents like leave him in Jerusalem. And it's not until three days later that they discover that he's gone. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if Mary and Martha were like, or Martha and Joseph were the best parents. But um, uh, fortunately, they had a really good kid in Jesus. So uh, verse 46 says, after three days, they found him. He was in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus asked questions too. Verse 49, he said to them, now Jesus is being a bit snarky. Uh, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You see, Jesus shows us that spiritual growth is for everybody. Even as a 12-year-old, he was chasing after people. Help me learn this. Teach me about this. And Mary saw that, and she says, hmm, there's, there's something. I knew he was special. But he's humble, too, that he would ask for help. He would ask questions. I'm glad that when Jesus was born, he didn't know it all. 
I'm glad that at the age 12, he had to, to be passionate about learning. And what's interesting is this, that because he was passionate about the father's business at age 12, he was even more, he was able to be obedient to God as an adult. Because I can't, I can't imagine the moment in his prayer time where God said to him, and you're going to die on a cross. Like, I don't know how, that, that must have been like difficult for him. But there is something about him learning as a young man, growing in his stature, growing in his wisdom, growing in his passion for the father's business, that, that when it came down for him to make the big sacrifice, to do the big play in the game, he stepped up and he did it. Make the decision to learn from other people, to learn from people who have learned in the past. All right. Here's uh, three quick tips for you. Um, you know, you may look around, you're like, ah, like there's nobody around here that can help me. Okay. All right. In case you feel like that's you, I'm going to give you three quick tips. Number one is this. Don't look for the perfect role model. Don't look for it. Doesn't exist. That's a fantasy. If you're looking for that, you're chasing after an idol. Don't look for the perfect role model. All right. Know what you need and be happy to receive what that person can give to you. Okay? If it's a cooking recipe, then praise God. If it's learning how to discipline your children, big win. If it's learning how to make a million dollars, connect them with me. <laughs> Number two is aim to learn something from everyone. This is a spirit of humility. You might not be able to learn everything from someone, but you can learn something from everyone. That's a humble person. And number three is this, learn to lead up. What does that mean? You may identify uh, an older guy. It's like, oh, Archie, you look like an older guy. <laughs> We're good friends, so I can say that. Um, and you know Archie's busy. Okay, I shouldn't have said Archie because not everybody's going to go to Archie. Uh, I know this hypothetical person is busy. You have to learn how to lead up. What does leading up mean? You have to learn how to help the other person help you. Okay, They're 10 years ahead of you. They're busy. They don't, they don't have time to, to be your best friend and hang out every night and stuff like that, right? They can't do that with you. Leading up means this, that you learn how to help them to help you. And so, you, you, for those of you guys who are in business, you probably do this quite a bit with your manager who's a jerk. Like, you are leading up all the time. You're trying to get information from them to help you, right? So, okay. Uh, leading for the future. Let's jump into that. <clears throat> so that was leading, I'm sorry, learning from the past. Lead for the future. Uh, at the beginning of the Deuteronomy, uh, a passage in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses says this, uh, This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, and you, your sons, and your sons' sons, uh, uh, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. And again, Moses is reiterating the multi-generational vision that God has for them. He's admonishing this generation to follow God's command and to ensure that the next generation does the same thing. He says, so that your days may be long. So that what you're a part of would outlast you. That's what he means by your days would be long. Work in a way in which the work that we're doing is going to outlast us. Be faithful so that what you are part of today will be available to people tomorrow. Right? 
And for some of us, that requires us to do menial tasks. Like it requires to do the same thing over and over and over again. Someone who is overwhelmed by God's external vision for the kingdom of God doesn't mind mopping the floors in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God. You don't mind doing the menial task because you, ha- you understand that it's connected to the long-term vision. I have to do this, this, and this in order for that to happen for the next generation. So serving and loving the next generation, oftentimes for us, for you busy people, me included, it seems like, ah, like I don't have time to hang out with kids. <laughs> I have too many important things to do. Right? The reality is that God's vision is, no, you, you have to hang out with kids. How else are they going to stand on your shoulders? Right? It's multi-generational. You may think it's a mopping the floor activity. In God's mind, hanging out with kids and youth and young people is the foundation for which He's going to accomplish His promise in the next generation. So ultimately, the story of the first five books of the uh, Old Testament is the formation of Israel as God's child, but also God's servant. Israel is God's child, but is also God's servant. And the first five books actually points to Jesus ultimately as the better Israel. Because Jesus is God's son, God's child, but he's the perfect servant. And Jesus doesn't mind hanging out with the kids. Jesus doesn't mind putting up with the next generation. As a matter of fact, there's a scene in which all the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, like he's too important. And they're, they're pushing off all the kids to the side. And Jesus is like, what are you doing, Peter? What are you... Let him come to me. And he uses that as an object lesson. He says, like, you guys are you're so far from the kingdom. If you were more like these kids, you would be closer to the kingdom. Jesus realizes that he's a child and he's a servant, right? Um, currently, uh, here's the plug. <laughs> Currently in our kids' ministry, uh, we have about 10, 15 kids, you know, plus infants and stuff like that. Uh, and it's amazing. Like, it's a very basic program that we run. Nothing, no, there's no, like, production lights or anything going on back there. And it's am- consistently, it's been one of the things in our ministry that people have talked about the most. Like, I don't get it. Like, it just, like, it's great, right? Uh, in the new year, Emily is going to step down from uh, her position as our, our kind of kids' city director. Um, to take some time off. And, and so Missy and Linda are working to kind of like, you know, to, to work and, and build that up and, and to make sure that in the new year we have people in place for that. And so I know not everybody here is like, you know, programmed to work with kids. Like some of you guys shouldn't work with kids. Like, <laughs> um, okay. I didn't, I don't think I was helping the cause. <laughs> uh, but all of us, all of us need to be praying and encouraging and pouring into the next generation, right? Pray, encourage, and serve. Uh, McLean put out an article. Uh, that was my plug for Kids City, by the way. They need help. So uh, this, is, this is a very tangible opportunity. As a matter of fact, I don't want to embarrass you, Ben, but I should. Uh, I was talking to my kids about, like, hey, how's your experience in church and Kids City and all that stuff? We really like Ben. Ben's a really smart guy. We learned so much about the Bible from Ben. Ben Rodriguez, Logan. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, like go Kid City. Like they're learning, you know, I'm embarrassed that they're learning probably more about like Bible stories right now from that than like our family devotional time. So go Ben, right? Go Kid City.
McLean uh, put out an article called God is the Answer uh, earlier in March of this year. And um, uh, they said this, that spiritually connected teens are remarkably 60% less likely to suffer from depression than adolescents who are not spiritually oriented. They're 40% less likely to abuse alcohol or other substances, 80% less likely to engage in unprotected sex. Spiritually oriented children raised to not shy from hard questions or difficult situations. Miller, who put out the study, points out that they also tend to excel academically. Interesting, isn't it? Wow. I want to bring up two young strapping gentlemen that... uh, uh, that I want to ask them some questions and, and then uh, you learn from them and us teach them as well. I'm going to bring up Justin and Connor and I'm going to, yeah, yeah, give them some encouragement. I uh, <clears throat> wanted them to come up here because number one, I wanted them to, because it's hard for pastors to be honest sometimes. <laughs> I wanted them to talk about the honesty of which, like how dysfunctional our home is. <laughs> And then also uh, talk about, like, the needs of, like, youth and stuff like that. Okay. Justin is obviously the type A in our family. Um, <laughs> so, um, and I, 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 I'm intentionally spending time with a, a handful of young people. But I realize that my greatest investment has to be with these two guys first. I have four young boys at home, by the way. Uh, and so Justin is 14. Connor's 12. Justin's in grade 9. Connor's in grade 8. And I feel like you guys just grew up this past year. Like, literally, you used to be like, hey, playing video games, now to, like, you're doing Connor CrossFit. still does. Yeah, you're still doing CrossFit with Harold. Wow. Um, so I did coach him a little bit, but I said, them, I said to them this. I said, don't lie. <laughs> don't try to make us look good. As a matter of fact, be brutally honest. I told them that, right? Because I wanted them to, to be able to tell our story to you guys. And then I want you to hear kind of the need that they feel like, youth have as well. So first of all, uh, how was it growing up in our home? You didn't <laughs> well, um, being, having my dad be a pastor, he's always taking like some times to make it as like a teaching moment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. <laughs> so he's always like making references to like Bible verses or something. Okay, so let me ask you a question, Connor. <clears throat> was I, did I do that when I was a pastor, or did I even do that when I was uh, an engineer? You were an engineer. You did? I don't know. Oh. Answer honestly. Um, like, I, I'm not... Well, honestly, I couldn't remember because I was uh, pretty young. Okay. I think Justin could answer that. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, like... He does that a lot just to, like, not to challenge our faith, but, like, so that we know uh, lessons, I guess. I don't know. But, yeah. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Are we, are we a perfect family? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. Okay. How are you not perfect? Our family fights a lot, like, 20%. There's at least maybe one or two... One or two fights that happens. When you day. say fight, you mean fist fights, arguments. Let's a, let's let's help lot, people understand. Like, a lot of arguments. Yeah, do I ever? Um, <laughs> I well, know. okay. It's it's just like between us brothers. Okay. Thanks for so, clarifying. Yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> Me yeah. and Linda don't fight a whole lot. Okay. No, not yeah, at all. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's good. Connor, you want to add to that? Like, how are we not 
perfect? Uh, we're not perfect because um, no one's ever perfect, I guess. So, yeah. Okay, good. Um, do you ever feel like you're being forced into faith for believing God, believing in Jesus? Uh, yeah, sometimes because okay. um, most of the time... Uh, our mom wants us to discover what we want to do through Jesus, so she's always telling us to do our devotion and stuff. And then um, us as kids, uh, being pretty lazy or just not wanting to do our devotion, um, really takes, what do I say, uh, I don't really know. But then when we actually do it, we found out that it's actually helpful to us to see what God wants us to do. Okay, so you feel forced in that, like, oh, you don't want to do this, and your mom says, hey, you know, you go back and, you know, read your Bible or do your journal, and at the end of that time, you actually feel like, oh, this is actually helpful. Yeah. Okay. All right. Justin, do you have anything to add to that? No, he, he said it. Okay. Said it. All right. Um, you know, we started this church two years ago. We don't have a lot of youth. You guys are probably the only kind of like middle school, high school age group. Do you ever feel lonely in our church, and do you ever feel lonely at school? Because I know you don't have a lot of Christian family or friends. Um, at church, no, I I don't feel lonely because like I'm in the presence of many Christians in the church. So yeah, but at school, it sometimes I do feel lonely. But when I don't, it's usually when someone brings up like Christianity or about God, that kind of like. I don't know. Makes me more happy. Uh, makes me more. Uh, makes me feel more comfortable, like sharing my faith. Okay. So yeah. What about you, Connor? Um. Well, I'm church. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable because most of the kids hang out with me. And they're pretty fun and cool, and some young adults do too. They're pretty hmm. cool too. But at school, um, I guess. I don't really talk about religion to my friends, and when we do, um, it's not much of a long conversation. But then I don't really feel lonely, um, religion-wise, at my school because I'm not a, really ashamed of my faith. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's good. Uh, who do you guys look up to in our church? Hmm. <laughs> well... <laughs> Besides Mike. <laughs> well, Ben over there, like, he's really helped us with our faith for, uh, faith for the past, uh, couple months. And it's been really helpful. Also with, uh, there's a lot of people that, uh. That Just we, name their names. Like, I so, just, I'm like, curious. Adam, I don't know either. Mr. Mike, Bruce, Curtis, uh, Aaron, I don't think he's here today. But yeah, and maybe some, and some others. And who but, kicks your butt every Saturday afternoon? Oh, Harold. Okay. <laughs> they do CrossFit with Harold every Saturday. So, all right. Connor, what about you? Like, who, who's, who in the church has been helpful to you? Uh, well, mm, usually uh, on Sundays, I go to the Kid City, and uh, I learn about God there. Uh, a lot of the kids' workers usually... Wait, what was the question again? Yeah, just who, who's been helpful to you oh, in the church? Yeah. yeah, they're usually helpful to me, always teaching me stuff. So like Shirley and then Ben and then like all the kids' workers and then the people that Justin named too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So let me, one last question then. I'll let you guys go. Like uh, 
What do you think our church could do to make it more welcoming to to youth and and, and younger people? Probably, Even though we're pretty young ourselves. Probably to have like if more youth come, then to have like a youth group youth group itself. Okay, Justin, any last thoughts about that? Um. Uh, I'm not sure, but like. I know that we've done a lot of things to bring youth to our church, and what I see uh, when we do is pretty good. It's just, I guess, the youth, uh, our youth uh, itself, like the kids these days, I'm not sure, but like they're usually not appealed more, like they don't really listen to any of that stuff, so I I don't know, I'm not sure, but... So making our message a little bit easier for youth to understand, maybe? Yeah, maybe, but like, I don't know. It's, I, I don't think it's the church. I think it's kind of them. Maybe it's the youth yeah. of today. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's interesting. All right. Well, thanks guys. Thanks for being up here. So. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to wrap up uh, our time here and, uh, it was, uh, you know, I'm glad that they were able to, to share a couple of things, but, uh, the reality is that, like, um, most of us, I mean, when, when's the last time you sat down with a teenager and had a conversation with them or somebody who was 10 years younger than you with the intentionality of building Christ into them? I want to give you one suggestion. Um, you know, we talk about evangelism and how do you share Christ with people. What have you made it a personal goal of yours to spend time with somebody who is 10 years younger than you and invited them to church, invited them to... Because here's the reality. When you're older than them, they look up to you. They, they really do. Like you, you, Just by age, you have something on them, right? And so if you're 50, like spend time with a 40-year-old. Invite them to church. Invite them to your home. To your home. If you're 40, spend time with a 30-year-old. If you're 30, spend time with a 20-year-old. If you're 20, spend time with a teen. Better yet... And families love this. If you're 20 years old or in the 20-year-old range, spend time with a family and invite them to church. They love it. They love it. And if you're a teenager, pray for your own group of people. Pray for your, your youth. As Justin was sharing earlier, that he's saying that the teens nowadays are different. I don't know if they would get all this stuff. Pray for that, right? So... Um, last thought is, uh, it's our turn to think about the next generation. Like we, we are not the generation. We're not the show. It's our turn to think about the next generation because with prayer, time investment, everything that we do as a church needs to be geared towards perpetuating the gospel to the next generation. And that's our prayer. I know this is cheesy, but do you choose to be a chomp or a champ? Let's be a champ. Let's pray. God, we, um, uh, we want to commit to your story. We want to commit to what you began doing in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Because that story has persisted through the years because of a generation that was faithful. Every one of them, at least one person throughout the history was faithful. And whether it was Noah or Moses and it turned into a nation, God, help us to be faithful. Help us to not be just about our story, where we fit. Help us to think about what you want us to do 10 years from now as a church. 
because the people 10 years from now leading the church aren't here yet. They're still growing up. For those of us who are in our 20s, God, such a prime age right now in our city to reach both back and then to reach forward. I just want to bless those who are in that age range right now who the world will tell you that you got to get the shiny uniforms and get the stadium lights in order to be effective. And I pray that God would bless you with that. But don't forget that you're playing a championship game, that you're on a mission. Millennials, you've been told that you can have anything you want and they lie to you. You can't have anything you want. But there is one team that is guaranteed to win. Insert yourself in that story. For those of us who aren't millennials, you know, us old people, bless you guys because you have so much experience to offer. Don't be shy in the corner. Don't be passive. Step up. Play the game. Coach the game. We need you. God bless our church to be that church in our city for the glory of your name.